and welcome to the Roasted Games Podcast. I am Kaz Gable. And I am Bill Price. Welcome, everybody. Um, today, let's jump into immediately what we have been playing this week. Uh, I think we've actually been doing a lot of separate plays. Because yes. I missed game night, and I've had friend, family in town. So we've been playing all sorts of stuff, but none of them, well, not very few of them, actually together. Yes. Uh, and I actually missed game night as well uh, because I was feeling very under the weather. Oh. So, um, but I can uh, at least hop into a game that yeah, to jump in. we played yesterday. Uh, I played it with my wife, my good buddy Brandon. It was his birthday and he got this game for his birthday. And uh, my son Joey, who's 15. So that kind of gives you an idea got a girl gamer 15 year old gamer and you know an old gamer like me and uh brandon really likes uh like heavier euro type games too so big uh big diverse audience there uh the game's called civilization a new dawn um initially uh don't get it confused with uh it's based on sid meyer's civilization so it's uh it it, you can immediately think the computer game but uh don't think anywhere near as um intense as the video game or as previous incarnations uh there were other board games like uh based on sid meyer's civilization that come out uh quite a few years ago that were just these gigantic grandiose table hogs that were just massive super fiddly and to be honest if your career didn't somehow relate to playing euro games uh, you had a tough time with those um this one is a lot more uh, accessible a lot more accessible to everyday gamers you don't have to love really heavy euros for this it's uh it's kind of abstracted out a lot of uh the really fiddly aspects from the previous game so there is warfare but there's not you know creating of individual units that go out it's not a miniatures game there is an economy but it is a very abstracted economy um just about everything you do there's trade routes and things like that but it is again very abstracted uh and i say abstracted and i was reading some of the forums and there are people that are really upset about this term abstracted um i when i say it i mean they're taking something exceptionally detailed and making it more general. Hmm. You know, when you say, okay, uh, the odds of me crashing on my bike have to do with wind shear and momentum and velocity and how good a bike rider I am and all these things, but you could just abstract that by rolling a die and saying, okay, uh, on a one, you fall off your bike. That's right. an abstracted yeah, like mechanic. Like a D&D skill check. Type of. Exactly. You're, you're taking all of the little fine details and you are generalizing it and uh there was one guy in the board game geek forums who was just who was so upset he's like i feel like people are calling this an abstract game and and this is better than than any other civilization game and it's going to outsell yours because yours is stupid and you're stupid if you think (laughs) this is abstract and he really took abstract as being negative and and i I don't because I think this game benefited a lot from taking out a lot of the fiddly parts. Um, At its core, it has this card mechanism that each player has this group of 
five cards in slot one, slot two, slot three, slot four, and slot five. Each slot has a terrain type. And so your cards, you uh, each card is an action that you can do, like a trade action or a military action or a build a city action or um, something to that effect, right? And the higher up on the track it is, the higher the slot number, the more powerful and effective that card tends to be. However, um, if you need to use the card, a lower card, you can. And when you use a higher card, it drops down to the number one slot and everything slides up. So your cards will get more powerful as you use other ones. But sometimes you have to take a card effect because you're like, I have to do this, even though I'm not going to get the full extent of this ability. Right. And it's really, really neat mechanism. And uh, I personally haven't seen anything like it. And it, that is the core engine of the whole game. Um, the map is modular. Um, it's these, uh, like three, three hex tiles, three or four hex tiles. Um, and you have these control tokens that you can put out that are basically, uh, defense effectively, and you can reinforce them and do things like that without getting too much into the specifics of it. Um, it very much abstracts out, uh, all of the day-to-day decisions and all these things into these five things that you can do these five cards now you can upgrade those five cards into different ages so you can turn your military card which initially starts out as masonry where you're just basically building walls Mm -hmm. um by the time you hit uh the fourth age if you upgrade your card through up, up to the fourth age you have flight so now you can attack people who are you know five hexes away and you can ignore mountains and uh, all kinds of stuff. So, so it gets more effective as you upgrade these. Um, but you don't necessarily have to, I mean, if you want to win, you do, but, um, you're never going to get them all upgraded. So it really depends on your particular strategy and everybody starts out with uh, a different world leader and the world leaders have specific player powers. These are very, very small powers. Hmm. So they're very minor. They're all asymmetrical. Uh, you're not going to win or lose a game or even get a big advantage off of one of these powers, but it can sort of influence what direction you go in. Mine personally uh, made it a lot more beneficial for me to look at wonder building. So that's where I kind of concentrated most of my efforts. Other people went full tech. Other people went um, to, you know, uh, more military type stuff. Um, but in the end, I, I did win because Bill wins. Uh, but it's it's very cool. If you like Civilization and you have considered getting any of the other Civilization games, but you're like, that's like a 60-pound box and I don't have any idea who I'd play that with, this one's a lot more accessible. It uh, plays two to four. And uh, it's an hour, it says an hour to two hours. Uh, everything, all the reviews I read and heard said about 90 minutes took us closer to two and a half hours because we learned the game as well so there was a lot of going back to the rule book and things like that but i'll bet we could four players we could play in an hour and a half uh so it's not super long it's uh the scores all ended up very very close like within a few points of each other so it's not one that i got the idea there's a runaway leader problem uh, or anything like that so i would definitely check that out it's sid meyer's civilization a new dawn 
and nice. it's uh, it's a fantasy flight game so obviously the presentation is gorgeous the pieces are beautiful so do you think people who um have played other civ games were kind of like on the like meh i mean because the thing about civ games is they can be so in the details that people get it it's a turnoff for some for me specifically like i like civ i played a lot of civ video, video games i haven't played really I don't think I played any of the board game ones, and I like them, but I was burnt out on them just because it's like it's long term planning the game, and so yeah. there's so a lot of people like that, and that's cool. Is this more you see short term payoffs more this, regularly? Yes, this is a civilization game for people who don't like really civilization games. Yeah, or don't um, don't like prototypical civilization yeah. games. This is somebody who thinks that. Through the Ages is an interesting concept, but never in a million years touch it. Right, the yeah. Foot pole. Um, this is, uh, a lot. I've heard people who really, really like hardcore civilization building games um, say that this is too light. Yeah. It doesn't really scratch their itch. Um, I'm fine with really, I, I'm fine with Civ games. I don't go out of my way to play them. This is more in my wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. Uh, I it scratched my itch for a Civ game because uh, truthfully the first hour and a half or so of most other Civ games are about all I enjoy of it. And yeah. after that, I'm just kind of waiting for somebody to win. Um, this, you felt a lot of progression very quickly. You could start upgrading your cards on like the second turn. It was, uh, it, it, it did feel like you got a lot more going on earlier right, which, right. Uh, so i would i recommend this for people who uh think the concept of a civilization game sounds interesting but is not into a four-hour game nice yeah i actually um uh didn't know much about this so knowing that it's a little bit more geared towards that direction that actually makes me really interested in it because i, I do love the concept of civs but i have the same thing as soon as after a certain point there's like a malaise that sets in for civ games where everyone's kind of doing their own thing um but uh there's going to be a period where it's just sort of it's happening you maybe you have built up your engine but you're it's like a transition period where you now gotta get enough stuff wait for that to pay off enough to then do the next steps for the end game stuff but there's like this bland period i guess in the middle yeah it always feels like all right well now i was just waiting for things to happen well, and if it doesn't sound good, if it sounds good to you, then just wait. Because the the best part, honestly, for me, uh, was the fact that everybody's turn takes like a minute or less. Oh, uh, nice. Because all you you have your choice between five cards, yeah, that's the only and it's like one of... thing you do on the card. Yeah, that's it. Period. So it's like uh, I'm gonna do this, and your turn. Okay, I'm gonna, uh, your turn. And they just they go through it, the turns go really really quickly. There's very little downtime. Uh, one of the big problems I personally have with Civ games is that it takes 10 or 15 minutes per turn yeah, analysis for analysis. some of these guys be because ridiculous. it could be like, okay, on your turn, you can do 15 different things, but you can do all of them. So yeah. you're like, I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to do this. And it's like 10 minutes of waiting for you to do all of the, oh, and don't forget to check your money here. And oh, how many smiley faces do you have? Okay, so now you move this here. Okay, and now, and that, I can't stand that. It, I, I don't have the attention span for it. So, Yeah. No, that's cool. I'm, I'm looking forward to trying this. Uh, it is interesting that they are... It's always seemed like a matter of time because uh, that the Civ games have become more simplified. Yeah. <laughs> um, just because there is a big market of people who love Civ games. And I, like we said, like parts of Civ games, but they are very dense. 
They take a long time to play, and there are ups and downs throughout the game. It's not like um, like TI4 where there's a lot happening at all times in different ways. It's just, you know, it feels like uh, you're playing your own thing after a while. And, yeah, if your strategy is good, but you can also a lot of times see the winner for quite a ways off. Yeah. And that's another detriment of Civ games. And so I've had experiences in video gaming where I'm like, okay, there's no way I'm going to get here, so I'm just going to mess around <laughs> to have some right. fun to salvage my time. So, oh, cool. I'm looking forward to checking it out. Yeah. Uh, let's see. So I, uh, the newer one that I uh, checked out this week is a game that was recommended to me called The Lost Expedition. Uh, it's by Osprey Games. And um, I had, I didn't know much about this, but it's a, the theme is you are, <clears throat> you are going after the previous expedition that was trying to find the lost city of z he disappeared you're trying to find him it's a game in cards um and there is i'm on the fence about this game because i'm not it has a lot of luck into in it and i can't tell how i feel about that it's very difficult it's very very difficult um you can solo play this game, and then I th- let's see. You can play up to five players with it. I'm not sure how five would play, but I'd like to try it because you have pooled resources. It's co-op. Uh, the game itself is on large, oversized cards. They're like uh, if you ever see those deck of cards for really old people, yeah, the like playing cards. Tarot they're just ca- like tarot size. Yeah, even bigger yeah. than that. They're oh. fatter, yeah, and they're, they're like uh, they're big, big cards. Yeah, but anyway, they're very large, um, but not too large to shuffle. So they're actually you can still do a, f- a fan shuffle with them pretty well. But um, the layout is great. The art is great. It's hand drawn, kind of comic booky style, um, a realistic comic booky style. It does and look nice. It looks really, really good. And the feel of it is really good. Like these events pop up as you're trudging through the uh, the jungle, trying to get to the lost city. Things pop up and things happen, and those make sense to the theme. And when a card pops up, an event pops up, there is uh, color-coded um, little boxes. And yellow, if a yellow box is there, you always have to do yellow. And if blue is there, you can choose to do however many of the blue boxes you want. So there's usually good, but they'll have a cost. And then the reds, uh, you have to choose one red box to do. There's usually, there's almost always at least two. Uh, no, there's always at least two, but there can be like three as well. So you have to choose a red. Red or red is like the better of two e- or of several evils to resolve. So each time an event happens, something most likely is going to force you to do something but then you have a choice of how to deal with this event so that is really interesting the way it allows you to choose however where the luck comes in is that you are placing these events basically in your in a round what happens to you in that day night cycle and if you're playing uh with another player you're going back and forth blindly laying events down you know what's been laid before you but you don't know what they're going to lay or what else they have in their hand and the events are also numbered so when you lay a card down uh, it's got a number on the bottom, and then they're going to lay a card down, and then you rearrange them in ascending order, and you're going to resolve them in that order. So it takes a little bit of the agency away from you from saying, oh, you did that event happened? Well, I'm going to offset it by we find an abandoned camp. Because if you find the abandoned camp first or at the wrong time or, or afterwards, depending on which is worse, it could totally offset the abandoned camp. Or they could play a card. There's cards that force you to skip other cards. You have to take a different route, so you don't even encounter the abandoned camp so anyway there's a lot of luck to it but and i was getting frustrated with that i was getting frustrated because i i uh my wife and i played a game and we won 
Then I thought I'd take a crack at a solo play because it had this huge recommendation of how good it was as a solo game. And I got destroyed both times. I did uh, <laughs> I did progress fairly well, but I never made it to the end. And I, I think I might have been trying to rush too fast. So I... I I was like, ah, this is just, this is annoying. And I put it aside, but then I couldn't stop thinking about it. And I kept taking it out and looking at the cards and playing with them. And then I actually did a spreadsheet. <laughs> I started doing a breakdown of the odds of the resources that pop up <laughs> and how they play out. Like, all right, there are seven cards that give you health in the adventure deck, but there are 29 cards that take health away in some form. Eight of those are yellow. So eight are guaranteed health loss cards to the seven guaranteed health benefit cards anyway so i was just trying to figure out the odds because i feel like there's a strategy here that i'm missing and there's a way to beat it because people really like this game and i enjoy it but i do find i keep running into being annoyed by when the lock comes in and the agency that i don't have and i feel that there are other games that i've played that i immediately like better that have the same survival concept of a hard game but you have more options to offshoot and find a strategy versus uh, versus reacting to everything. So I don't know. I like I said, I'm on the fence with this. I can't. <laughs> I have enjoyed my playthroughs, but I don't really love games that I feel like I just keep hitting my head against a wall um, until I sort of fall into the strat, fall into a lucky break, and uh, can. I don't know. It, to me, it's not an activity I enjoy. Just like. Every once in a while, figuring out or f- having the cards fall in just the right order so I can have the right strategy to win. It just feels like I'm not... It's not as satisfying, I guess. Yeah, no, I, I, I hear you. Um, it, it looks really pretty. Uh, it's really interesting uh, looking through the cards. It's just... Oh, I'm, like I really want to get your cards. thoughts on it. So we'll probably talk about this again um, in an upcoming episode because uh, we didn't have... We were, I was going to try to play it today, but we kind of ran out of time. So I'm... Uh, I'd really like to, <laughs> to talk it over once Bill's played it, get his thoughts on it, and maybe try with a larger player count at game night. Because it is a pretty quick game. It only takes like 30 minutes or so. Um, so you can get through it. Yeah, and, and this game has been reskinned recently as Judge Dread: The Cursed Earth. Yes. Um, and oddly enough, I'm, you know, on Amazon, Lost Expedition is about $10 cheaper than Judge Dread. So uh, if you prefer the judge dread theme go snag it up it's judge dread the cursed earth uh, or the original is lost expedition um it's odd that you talk about luck because a lot of what i'm reading says that judge dread is a little bit luckier hmm, than the lost expedition so if you are frustrated by the luck aspect in lost expedition you're probably going to want to skip out on judge dread but uh, i have read quite a bit about people's opinions on this and the people that love this game absolutely love it really like it yeah um so it's but but it it is there are uh there are people who don't yeah so yeah it's uh, it is a divisive game it's not one of those kind of universals it's one that surprised me that it was rated as high as well like as the geek rating is 6.6 the average rating is 7.16 that's on high. board game geek, yeah, it's very high, and for a game that usually when there's a lot of luck in a game, that drops down rating oh, yeah. levels Definitely. really fast. And so that's why I was like, oh yeah, I'll check this out. And the friend of mine who recommended, I, I respect his opinions, and I usually you like, used to respect <laughs> well, I his did before, <laughs> but, but but he also <laughs> likes games uh, with more luck in them um, as well. So anyway, but 
I don't know. I'm on the fence because there is something that keeps bringing me back to it. I do want to play it again. I want to crack it. It's annoying. <laughs> it's one of those games where if it was a little longer, I probably wouldn't. But the fact that it is so easy to set up, the cards are large, easy to read, and it's straightforward rules makes me want to just be like, all right, well, I got nothing to do for 20 minutes. All right, I'm just taking a quick crack at this stupid thing and see, God! <laughs> so, all right. for some reason, it's bringing me back. So, there's something to it for sure. Uh, real quick, I just wanted to say the designer was uh, Peter Sylvester, and the artist um, is uh, Garen Ewing. And apparently, he is a very well-known comic artist. I am not a huge comic person, so I apologize if I should have known that. He is amazing, and everyone knows him. But uh, those are the two guys that are responsible for it, and the art design is great. So anyway, all right. what else did we play? Uh, we just recently played, uh, if you listened to last week's episode with yes. uh, the guys from Concept Medley, uh, they recommended a game called Gizmos, which effectively seems to be their space base um <laughs> what is your space base right. audience tell us what your space so, base is oddly enough uh the designer of this game is phil walker harding who i think we've mentioned a couple yes. times in amazement that he also did um imhotep imhotep and sushi go and he did baron park and cacao uh, so, I mean, he's super prolific, and he just keeps putting out games that are awesome, at least, like, in this particular uh, demographic. Uh, these None of these games are Euro games or difficult games. I mean, these are all games you could play with, you know, a, a 10-year-old, and they would get it. Um, so, but uh, we did play Gizmos. We didn't play it 100% correctly, but we now understand what we did. Um, so in hindsight, we can kind of look back, and we're going to definitely play it again. Uh, it's a really cool game. It's uh, The concept is, at least the theme, the loose theme, is that you are scientists uh, at like a, um, I don't know, uh, you're trying to invent, you're coming up with the next gizmo to bring home the first place prize in like the science fair or something it's an easily I, losable yeah, overall yeah. theme so yeah a very loose theme um i say theme with air quotes you can't see that or not even theme I, it's an easily lose or losable goal because the theme right. is very rich right the, the theme that these are gizmos you're putting together and buying with energy is very is very yeah cool. you're like a mad scientist you get this sort of like yeah comic booky mad scientist art it is feel. effectively if you break it down to its core it is splendor but with marble drafting instead of um, poker chips. And uh, it ha introduces a set of chain reactions. So when you do, when you buy a card from the center, build your gizmo in exchange for these marbles, um, you can, uh, that action may trigger another gizmo that you'd bought previously, which may trigger another gizmo, which may trigger another gizmo, and so on. So you can get, you can have these these grandiose turns where you might do like eight different things because you're you've already built this engine. So it's uh it's a marble drafting game that at its core is an engine builder, and uh, it is I I was kind of reading about it on the forums too, and sort of the common consensus is the same one I came to, which is this is what Splendor should have been. Um, I love Splendor, don't get me wrong. I will still play Splendor, but uh, this does kind of take 
splendor and crank it up to 11. So I, I enjoyed it. If, uh, if this is sort of medium weight, if like a splendor slash space base slash, I don't know, kind of game, um, it quacks a Quedlingberg, that sort of, uh, type of complexity appeals to you, then, then this is, uh, this is a great game to try. It does look like a kid's game right off the bat. It looks like you're buying like a sequel to Mousetrap or something, but <laughs> um, but it is not. It is uh, a, it is whimsical yet. Uh, it is a sturdy game. So sturdy, yes. <laughs> it is me- it is somewhat meaty, and and I like that in my light games. Yeah, yeah. No, it's yeah. It's it's. The distinction, I think, is like what Space Base is to Machi Caro. This is similar to like what Bill said. This is is to Splendor. Um, Except and, uh, Splendor was good and got better, <laughs> whereas Machi Caro was crap and then just got into a good game with Space Base. I would rather play this than Splendor for sure. Um, I, oh, yeah. I enjoy I, Splendor, I but I also just kind of get... I don't know. I have to be in the right. I like Splendor less than most people. I should. I guess I should say that. That's the Splendor's mindless. Splendor's just yeah. one of those games you can have a conversation with somebody while doing sort of an activity, mm-hmm. um, and eventually you somebody wins and you do something else. Um, it's it's a nice <laughs> game, game when you're drinking and talking. Yeah, yeah. It's not if you're like I'm in a competitive mood to just really jam on somebody. Let's play Splendor. Nobody, <laughs> nobody. That's never been it's uttered head to head on Splendor. It's that those words have never been uttered before. So They've been uttered and immediately regretted. Yes, and be like, so, what am I talking about? I'm, Splendor. I've been drinking too much. Yeah. I'm going home. Way too much. You should go home. You're drunk. It is great though. I mean, the that does uh, mar- having marbles. It's we're, we're kind of not talking about this. Like it's it could have been anything, but it's just nice that they use marbles. Such unique um fun little unnecessary but very helpful for the theme contraption to have this big marble dispenser that uh works 90 percent of the time as it should unless you bump it in the slightest way and then you have to readjust the marbles but even that complaint isn't isn't that bad and yeah it's just it's just fun that you kind of collect these marbles and their your energy and and the way you know playing with marbles with your it's just always nice yeah it's it's very very tactile it could have been it could have been pulling chits out of a bag it could have been drafting poker chips but whatever but um but yeah i'm with you the the tactile feel it's unlike really anything else because most other grown-up games don't have marbles Mm -hmm. um it's an interesting little ring that they provide you that you keep the marbles in um, it works. They don't fly all over the table or anything. So, and the uh, the little marble dispenser thing is kind of cheap and cheesy, but <laughs> very cool. Actually, it 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 adds to the aesthetic and it it works with the game because it doesn't it doesn't take itself seriously and neither does this game. So yeah. That being said, for a game that looks like it would be appropriate for kids, I think you the the uh, age of entry here is older than it might appear. Um, just for the complexity of interact or interactivity of the um, engine you're building, I think is more. It's only rid, it's well, it's one point nine two on board game. I think it's actually a little bit higher than that. At least, I I don't know. I feel like a ten twelve year old would maybe get this, but it'd be kind of yeah, hard for says, them to really. It says fourteen plus in the box. I don't think a twelve year old would have any trouble with it. I think a ten year old would take a couple plays to really get anything resembling um, a firm grasp on what a good strategy would be. Uh, but I think 
But I'd say I, anything below ten. Anything for sure, below ten, be I would probably think would struggle. Their game, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but I but it is really fun and it's light and uh, it is really great to feel like Space Base does where you're just getting more things to improve your little engine and it's playing off each other and you're getting excited about what to come up and the amount of things <laughs> it it really does quickly give you some interesting and not hard but some good choices about do I build what I already have uh, do I go for that oh that came out that's amazing and then oh wait do you need that the other thing about it too though I felt and this is we only put it once though so it's hard to say is I started trying to keep track of what Bill was doing but I quickly became overwhelmed with what I should be doing and trying to yeah. track my next plays that I just kind of was like ah I can't even think about that I just need to do my thing this and try to build my efficient works engine. Works better as a four-player solitaire than as like really competitive. competitive. Yeah, I'd it's really like tough it. to hate draft and or do anything like that. <laughs> right, right. So. Or just be like, what color do you need? It's like, well, what color do I need? <laughs> right, right. Um, yeah, that that could be a little overwhelming. I'd really like to play this with more people though and see how it how it does shift in just because uh, the one thing is <clears throat> that I felt with two is that there were certain cards like uh, there's uh, runs where we had uh, in the second tier, I think. There was basically the same card coming out. They kept coming out, and it was kind of like, okay, well, I don't want to get too many of those cards because, A, it'll just open an option for you, or I don't really need that card either, and so it's kind of a waste. And so but nothing else ever comes out if you don't buy them. Exactly. So I feel like with four, there's going to be way more card cycling. And, yeah. um, and I think we should shuffle a little better next yeah. time. Uh, yeah, but that might have been it too. Yeah. But it's it really uh, fun. Super fun game. Well well designed I, i'm excited to get this two game night and see if of it course will it's well designed. spread it's phil walker Harding. right Sorry. genius god <laughs> what am i even saying beautiful genius <laughs> i was telling guys we need uh we need a roasted games hall of fame where like once a quarter or something we induct like one guy and one game yeah one and designer just, one game yeah yeah they are the holy grail of honey roasted you know um <laughs> But yeah, this we is. We send them a jar of peanuts out of the blue and exactly. they question it. <laughs> and are like, what's going on with this? What and is this? It's pretty much the best I am peanuts. allergic to peanuts. Yeah, the world's, world's <laughs> That's the worst thing you could blind sense right? on, <laughs> knowing nothing about them. Like, here's a bunch of peanuts. Who's trying to kill me? <laughs> <laughs> the FBI calls us up and is like, are you sending this guy peanuts? It's all over Twitter that he has a peanut, peanut allergy. But... We get listed as a terrorist organization. Yeah. We um, didn't know. <laughs> just as honey roasted. <laughs> So maybe coffee. Maybe send him some black coffee there or something. Go. I don't know. Uh, people allergic to coffee? Doesn't seem like I, a lot of them. Yeah. Yeah. I anyway. I, I don't hear anything about the news. Yeah. Yeah. Not as severe. So. Yeah. No, I agree. We should do that. It'd be fun to do, uh, you know, because the fun, the, like Bill was saying, with Phil Walker Harding, we just, out of the blue, where we were talking these games, and we kept looking up the designer. I'm like, oh, it's, it's this, the same it's guy. guy. <laughs> Holy crap. It's this, I love this. Oh, my God. Look what else he's designed. We love all these games. <laughs> How good is this guy? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and we probably should have known who it was <laughs> right. before, but uh, it was one of those uh, connect the dots moments where you're like, well, man, he's got some really good ones under his belt and they're quite different. I'm curious to see if this catches on like space space. I, I want to see if like anyone's like, oh, I'm going to go buy that. And then all of a sudden we have like six copies of this at every game. <laughs> oh, man, I can see it happening. Time will tell. Uh, let's see. What else do we play? I all I uh, the other things I played this week is are um, I had a some family in town and I played a bunch of parade and some deep sea adventure. And Nothing wrong with parade, man. Nothing yeah. wrong with parade. I sent my parade uh, to Chile. My brother moved to South America and I sent it with him. So I have to go get a new copy. Oh, but uh, I 
he, we were playing that just because uh, it's a great game to play and hang out and have some meal, have a meal or have a beer over and. And uh, that was my going away gift to him. A used copy of Parade. <laughs> Didn't even get him a new one. Just gave him my old one. You're so I get loving. the new one. You're very loving, brother. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's all I played. And, and um, uh, what else have you? Oh, actually, no, I take that back. I played uh, The Mind for the first time and um, want to play that a few more times. I played it with my wife and I really liked it a lot, actually. I was surprised. Did I'd, she? She did not. <laughs> well, she started to because at first she's like, this is dumb. This is not a game. <laughs> <laughs> this is an activity. And I was like, give it, a, give it a minute here. And then we played right away and she immediately immediately failed. And she's like, yeah, this is stupid. Just like I thought. But then I kept goading her into playing a few more times. And eventually her competitive nature took over. And we got, uh, I think the highest we ever got was like level five. But... But that took us a few times to get there. And then she was kind of like, she's like, okay, this isn't as bad as I thought it was. So I think she's coming around on it. But I really liked it. And I think she secretly does too. Mm. Um, yeah, very, very unique. Very interesting. I've, I'd resisted picking it up for a long time because it felt, I didn't know too much about it. And my reading of the back kind of felt too much like a a party game experience that I was just like, nah, I don't know. I mean... Some some of those party game dynamics where it's just like engage sounds, with your friends in a way that you're not used to, and that'll be the fun of the game. And it's kind of like, yeah. It sounds like like uh, just from what I've seen and what I've read, and I I'm very familiar with how it's played and and everything. I've never actually played it, but it just it seems like it would be more of an activity. It, and I just I, I guess yeah. I'm, I'm not feeling what the actual game is, and maybe that's because I haven't played it. It feels but. more like a college psychology classes lesson in group think <laughs> like but, but it is fascinating how I, I i'm not gonna argue that point because i kind of agree with you however it's different than anything i've ever played and it really is fascinating how it evolves because it's a game designed to be played like three to four times in, in just immediately after if you fail just just try again real quick and see what happens because um you immediately you're you immediately get better, but then you reach a plateau because you are more comfortable with the people you're playing with. Um, I don't think anyone's going to be good at this right off the bat. And if they are, they're probably aliens and can read each other's minds because you can't give each other any clues at all when you're playing your cards down. You just have to kind of know what they're going to do. And basically your clue is how long you're pausing to put your card next down next. And they're kind of based on your pausing, they're going to do something. Right. And so they're, everyone's reading each other, but you can't, out of your way, give clues. Go out of your For way. anyone unfamiliar, my understanding is that there's uh, it's a deck of cards labeled like one through one hundred, one hundred, and you're basically laying down. So one each, person's yeah. laying down a card, and the next person, uh, well, and so whoever thinks that they have the next lowest card. Well, you have to lay them down in, in order. ascending order. order. So, <clears throat> so basically, in each there's twelve levels total. And the first level, you each get one card, and then you signal when everyone's ready. And then the per and then there's no turns. Whoever thinks they have the lowest card lays it down, and then the other person, of course, lays their down. If you're correct, you go into level two, or you get two cards. So the odds are basically like what we figured out is if you have 35 or less, or if you if, let's say you have 10 or less, just immediately lay down your card. Oh, odds yeah. are yeah. low that you're going to have math. yeah you're going to have the card. So you're kind of playing probabilities. And then if you're um, 35 or less, 
you have also a really high probability of having low value cards. So if anyone's hesitating to lay theirs down because they're not sure, you could probably lay yours yours down as well because most likely you're going to still be low. So anyway, you just have to, everyone takes turns laying down a card to increase it incrementally ascendingly. If anyone lays a card down, that is, uh, if they lay like, let's say, uh, numbers 34 on the table, I've got 30, I've got 44, and I lay that down, but someone had 43, then we lose a life. You start with two lives, uh, and there are also these things called throwing stars, which are basically adding a little wrench to the works to help you, but that's the premise. Mm-hmm. So you go through these levels, and you gradually have more cards that you start with, which is even more difficult to play them correctly, uh, and that's it. <laughs> yeah, but, which it leads a lot of people who don't like the mind to say this is not a game. Yeah, and and I I kind of get that, but I, I I sort of get the feel too of kind of I I don't know. It just it it seems uh, I, I probably have to play it to really fully understand the draw, but it doesn't seem fun off the bat. Like, <laughs> well, that yeah, it no, I agree. Sound I, like I a agree. Great Reading thing. it, that's why I hesitated to buy it for a long time and i i just i'm gonna check it out finally because it's you see it around all the time and people do like it but i don't know i i'm i'm looking forward to that rabbit on the front anyway the art is just so bizarre there's very little art to it but the art is just weird i mean it it makes no sense it's insane there's like a a ethereal rabbit that is the theme or the uh signifies your lives um and then also there are throwing stars for no reason (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah that's it's but weird. there i do i would say there is a game to it because <clears throat> there is in, so what the throwing stars do is you have one at the beginning and you can collect them in certain rounds if you reach certain levels you gain a new life or you gain a throwing star and if anyone wants to throw a storing throwing star they because you have to all do this all silently they point to it and then everyone else has to like not an agreement that they're gonna use a throwing star so when you use a throwing star everyone puts down their lowest value card in their hand. So it's a good way to like gauge where everyone's at. And okay. so you, so, and it clears the table. So, you know, oh, okay, so these are the lowest value that everyone had. So if, if we get past, we know we can at least get past that. So if you have anything close to those numbers, then you play it right away because then you'll probably be the next one. So there is a gaminess to it, but I do get why people think it's just yeah. an activity. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Let, let us know what you guys think uh, if you've played The Mind. Uh, I know there are few loyal fan bases as dedicated as the ones who love this game. Um, it went through a phase for a while. At every convention you'd go to, the 30 people playing this game. So. Yeah. It feels um, like it, I would recommend trying it. If nothing else, it does feel unlike anything I've ever, else I've ever played. Um yeah, that, and, and okay. stop. Full stop. All right, full stop. <laughs> full stop. So we'll probably play it. At, I'll bring it to Game Night again this and soon, and we'll probably have some more discussion or talking okay. points about it. But. Yeah, I'll, I'll give it a shot. Um, so what uh, we would like to talk about this week um, in what's left here yeah. is um, a game called that we've mentioned before called Ar- Arkham Horror, specifically third edition. It's the board game, not the card game. Um, yes. This is a Cthulhu mythos-based game that basically, to me, feels like if you've played Arkham Horror, the card game, this is the board game version of that. This is expanded. This is more uh, just adding 
bigger things to the table. This is being on a board, but it's the same sort of uh, flavor text and the same feel and the same vibe and kind of the same goals in that you're trying to prevent the end of the world, uh, which is usually the summoning of one of the elder gods or um, great old ones or ancient ones. Yeah, it's it's so. kind of the... Um uh it's an old originally old when was it originally made uh, original, it's, it's an older game i think it's from the 90s is it that old the original i, I feel like it is um uh, if only there were a way to check That's, it's impossible we'll never um, find out, but but it uh the first edition was uh from all intents and from everything i've heard uh practically unplayable um it was uh it's actually originally published in uh, 1987. Oh, yeah. 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 So oh. uh, it was practically unplayable. It was really long. It was clunky. It was uh, a lot of people say it was broken. Second edition uh, fixed some of those things, but it basically stayed the same general game. Um, just kind of streamlined a few things and, and made the experience a little bit more bearable. Still too long. Um, clunky. There were dedicated people who loved it, and there were a shit ton of expansions made for it. Um, but the third edition, which I believe just came out this year or last year, um, is basically a complete revision. So it it has, from what I understand, very little in common with first and second edition. Uh, it is a modular board. Uh, which is is really neat the way they did this with puzzle pieces basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's uh, there's double sided uh, main tiles, big chunky tiles that are connected by these streets that basically kind of snap in place like uh, like puzzle pieces. And it makes for a very sturdy board once it's put together. So I mean you yeah. bang the table and nothing happens. Um, and it's a cooperative game. So obviously it's going to have some of the issues that co op games have. Um, but it, my general impressions was it, it was, uh, I enjoyed it a lot. It's a bit fiddly, um, in that there's a lot to keep track of. Uh, their mm-hmm. setting up take, took like 20 minutes, uh, cause you have to make decks based on the scenario. It's, it's scenario based. So, um, there's, I think the comes with four scenarios we played the intro scenario uh we'd like to play another scenario we haven't had a chance to yet um so we probably hear more about it um once we do that but it's uh it has a lot of the same feel of the card game only to me more immersive i felt a little deeper and more involved with this than i did playing the card game yeah i mean so if you if you are familiar with these games you probably know but if you're not um if you want an immersive cthulhu world or lovecraftian world experience you have three main options it's eldritch horror which was uh after arkham came out uh there was kind of their retake and lessons learned on arkham but in a much broader you're traveling the world versus just existing in arkham i've heard it compared more to like an indiana jones cthulhu experience yeah yeah yeah. but it's very deep and immersive in a long play place uh time and then you have arkham horror the living card game uh which is a game that i play a lot and i really enjoy and it's my main comparison for this game uh which they borrowed in the third edition redesign they borrowed a lot from both of those and other things to streamline this game once again but it is still a 
deep, rich uh, Lovecraft feel experience for sure. And that is its upside and its downside. So there's a lot to it, like Bill said. But if you are someone who likes Lovecraft and Cthulhu, this is very satisfying in, um, I in do. how rich I'm, I'm <laughs> it a huge comes Cthulhu to the forefront. Fan. Yeah, I am yes. as well. And so, yeah, it, the, one of its biggest strengths is the art and the modular board does really great job of making you feel like you're running around the city. It's funny when we were talking about the first edition in 87, I was looking at the board and it looks like Candyland, the way Candyland is, the board is. So it's just this typical style of just a path with uh, segments, like a ladder yeah. going up and down. So anyway, the way they've done this really feels satisfying in um, what the city looks like, how you explore it. They've done a lot just to make the game streamlined in how you do things uh to be not to align more with the um uh the story of uh the arkham events like i think one of the complaints in eldritch as well was that things would happen and they just kind of took you out uh like you would defeat an old one with a shotgun or something like that and it just would kind of take you out of the realism of the game for a, a hyper weirdly unrealistic game but anyway <laughs> So yeah, we had uh, real quick too. We had a this was a request by one of our listeners, Dylan. Thank you, Dylan, for writing in. He just uh, asked us uh, one of his favorite games, and uh, he just asked us to talk about this a little bit and our experience with it, and then also discuss um, uh, a little bit. We're going to talk a little bit about getting this to the table because these can be difficult. More than any other game, Lovecraft games can be hard to get to the table because they're very specific in. player types who are interested in this type of game yeah and i'm probably going to go a little broader and talk about um ways just to get larger games in general to the table because a lot of people really struggle especially if they are part of a game night um and they're like oh i'm gonna bring this really long really expansive game that has a lot of uh atmosphere to it and i'm gonna play it in the food court for three hours well you're not um so let's talk about ways that we can we can get that but first i have a list of things that i personally liked about arkham horn and a couple things that i didn't so i figure i'll get your take on some of these real quick we played with five five yeah we played a full complement in this game um we played also the bidding scenario um, do you want to just t- say who you played? I played Wendy Adams, who I <laughs> really like to play. She's an orphan character, but I always enjoy her. There in Arkham games, there are character types. She is a survivor, so she is good at getting out of scrapes. She's not a fighter, um, which is one of the reasons I like playing her. I played uh, Jenny Barnes, who uh, basically always has a shit ton of money, and <laughs> she's a pretty good fighter. Yeah. So she's. Um, usually play her in the card game as well i play her an elder sign uh i really really like jenny barnes um yes there are men in the uh cthulhu <laughs> mythos yes uh but uh yeah that's that's who that's i don't remember played. who anyone else played because i don't care about them as much <laughs> so uh some things i really really liked uh two of them kind of go together uh the first one is the story and the way that this story is um, kind of progresses is through what's called the the codex, and uh, think of sort of a choose your own adventure with cards that, um, based on different things that you trigger, uh, things that you accomplish, uh, based on the scenario, and things that you maybe don't accomplish. Uh, trigger cards from the archive which is the story building 
deck and uh, triggers them into the codex. And the codex is what drives the actual story. So you can play the intro scenario like we did, and you can play it five times and get five different codex. Co- codices? Co- codexes? Co- codices, I think? Codices. Yeah. Um, and basically have different a different storyline take place because of it. Um, the way these scenarios, and that's another thing I really liked, is the scenario-driven nature here. Um, but the scenarios, they... Um, the way that they they play is that you start the game not knowing how to win. You start the game not knowing what the win condition is and not knowing really what you're doing. Yeah. So you start doing things and then things start happening. And as you accomplish things and the codex starts building and all these things happen, eventually what ha- it it shows you, the archive shows you by way of the codex what your ultimate winning condition will be but not until the story has progressed. Right. And that is super cool and not anything I've ever seen in any other game. And if it does exist, please let us know because I have never heard of anything like that before. Um, it's It kind of opens as a sandbox and ends up being very streamlined. So I think that is, that's to me like my favorite yeah. piece of it. I agree with... Um that yeah, I, I totally agree. Choose your own adventure is a, an apt way to describe it, where things are going to occur and you have things to do, and you kind of know what your strengths are, and so you can maybe start doing things to play to those strengths, like collecting items or, um, you know, removing running around horror. Or yeah, whatever, removing yeah. removing the things that always are going to happen because the premise is you are investigators, and there's it just there's just evil occurring, and you are investigating what's kind of what's going on. So things will happen there as the broad plot unfolds. Uh, based around certain conditions that'll pop up. But yeah, the unsurprisingness or the surprisingness of when things happen is one of the coolest things about this game. That's of course limited on replays, but in this box there are several scenarios and it's never going to play exactly the same way. So you will have a lot of um, ability to replay even the same scenario to try to do it better or do it with different characters, uh, even though you might know the main plot points that are going to come up. And if there's two games ever that have been phenomenally supported by the publisher, it's been Eldritch yeah. Horror and Arkham Horror, the original card, uh, board yes. game. So you are going to see expansions, and you're going to see a lot of expansions. So mm-hmm. as far as replayability goes, I, I don't think you're in trouble yes, uh, that's when true. it comes to that. Yeah. So um, another thing I really thought was very cool was the uh, variable turn order. So... Uh, there's not like a preset, okay, you go first, then you, then you. It's players decide when they want to go in the turn. So I could be like, hey, I'm going to start this round off by going and doing this so that somebody else can do this other thing. And that's fine. The game is totally, it, it's loose like that in that you can play, the players can decide what order they want to go in uh loosey-goosey however they want which i think fits real life because sometimes i've played games where okay we need to do this and this oh but you have to do this first but it's your turn first yeah no craps now we have we basically lose a turn because we're setting something up Mm -hmm. and that i i don't know that just doesn't happen in real life Uh, i've never wanted to do something and then had somebody else say hey i'm going first that structure goes so well to making this feel 
more real. Like yeah. you are real people trying to coordinate to do stuff. Cause that, that's something that, uh, the LCG does as well. You can choose who goes when and, um, and it, yeah, you can, you can line up, uh, your abilities or your, your reactions to certain events in the most efficient way possible, which is great, even though the game and the game is still really hard. <laughs> so yeah, that ability to do that does not make you overpowered in the slightest. It just makes you feel like, well, of course we would do that. That's what any group of people would do. We wouldn't say, well, Bill, you're standing in front of me, so you fight the monster, even though you have no weapons. Right. I will stand back here with my bat and my gun and cheer you on. And you just mentioned how difficult it is, and that kind of leads into one of the other things that I really enjoyed about it is the feeling of always feeling behind. Yeah. You know, every time we'd start to feel like, okay, I think we're building up to something, uh, it would be the mythos phase, which is the phase basically that all hell breaks loose every single turn. So at the end of every game, or at the end of every turn, uh, people reach in and they pull these chits out of the bag of doom or whatever it's called. And mythos sack, uh, I don't know, whatever. <laughs> Pretty sure it's not called the mythos sack. <laughs> <laughs> whatever. Um, a sack so, of mythos. So, yeah. I don't know. And so, and a lot of it's really bad. Like, yeah. uh, none of it is good for mm-hmm. you. Uh, there is like a one or two blank tokens in there, so there might be nothing. You can avoid bad things. The best thing that can happen to you is literally nothing. Um, so, but that's rare. Usually something spawns, something, uh, takes something out of the game. So it, it triggers some sort of effect that, you know, screws up a whole bunch of other stuff. And, uh, it can be just this massive chain of events where by the time you come back to, okay, so we just finished and we're feeling really good. The mythos face is done and we come back and we're like, well, shit we're literally screwed (laughs) yeah yeah and and i i personally think that that fits with the storyline so well this is not a happy story if you've ever read anything having to do with cthulhu or hp lovecraft it is absolutely miserable and it should be and good good on that yeah the sense of things more and more getting out of control is yeah. strongly felt here because at first you're like, oh, there's a little bit of uh, there's a weird cultist around the town and there, um, there's doom about. Let's go talk to these gentlemen and figure it out. And then a portal opens and then a real monster comes out and then you're like, oh, that's getting serious. And then it just gets worse, worse, and, worse and worse and worse and worse and more unmanageable. And so your job is to prioritize these horrifying things uh, that are happening. But once again, you don't always know exactly. Um, the end game that you're trying to go for. So you do know, okay, here's the worst thing that we need to resolve now. Let's get this figured out. And then on our way to do that, we can also take care of some of this stuff. And then that'll probably, once you do resolve that for good or bad, it'll trigger something else that will be even more expansive and horrifying, but um, exciting to engage with. So yeah, that is one of the best things about these games is that you really get the sense that things are falling apart and you yeah, really you have to figure it out. cannot control things. Yeah. If, if you are one of those people who has to always feel like you're in control or that you know something is achievable, this is not your game. This is a game of, of misery and a game <laughs> for people who really enjoy overcoming just absolute despair. Uh, but when you do, like, we were really so happy when we did. Oh, yeah. my gosh. You know, we, we felt like, hey, we've been playing this for an hour and a half or whatever, two hours, yeah. two and a half hours, and uh, and we we feel great about this. You know, we yeah. really accomplished something. We bonded. We, we uh, really had a lot of fun. We made good decisions. 
I, uh, I really, I, I, that's one of the things I really, really like about it. Yeah, I agree. The payout, the play or the payoff for when something succeeds, especially, and this will happen a lot in these games, especially Arkham Horror, uh, by the skin of your teeth, it is the most satisfying gameplay board game moments you can have. It just, it's so dire that when it works, it's like, Oh, we're the best in the world. And it's uh, an orphan, a socialite and an FBI agent. They're just hugging each other. So that's always a funny image to me too. Yes. We're standing on the front of the Titanic. We're the king of the world. Yep. Um, so, uh, any other things, those are the things I really liked. Uh, anything you want to add to that before I get into things I didn't care for as much? Um, yeah, one thing that kind of ties to that. So one, one of the things that, that I think it does, that does really, really well is in that sense of extreme, uh, the world falling apart around you constantly faster and faster and, and more and more things are happening that you have to be uh, more and more horrible things are happening that you need to either resolve or be fine with the consequences of them. Um, you are, you have some RPG elements in the fact that you can kind of upgrade your character to a degree. It's not limitless. You have, you can improve a, your odds to a limit, which is, which just makes sense for this game. You can just sort of, sort of focus on certain things to be slightly better at them, um, uh, but not super powered. But when you have to do skill checks in this game and Arkham games are full of skill checks because you're basically going up against the evil that exists and trying to um, triumph over it individually. Skill checks are extremely satisfying in this game. The way my comparison with LC, the LCG is uh, there is a <laughs> another another sack in that game for... Um, so many sacks. There's so many sacks in these games. But this game is when you do a skill check, <clears throat> you have at the beginning of the game, you set out the difficulty of skill checks ahead of time. And... You are it's so there's a series of tokens in there and there a lot of the, most of them are bad they offset to a negative degree your skill check but a couple of them are good this game the way the skill checks are done they're done with dice and when you the way you can upgrade them in this game and the amount of dice that you roll for a skill check is extremely satisfying even when you are lose even if you do lose it feels much more satisfying to roll a handful of dice than it does to kind of root around in a sack. And I really, I really, that seems obvious, but I really like that they went that way or they stayed, they kept that way. I'm not sure if it, how close it is to the second edition, but then they did with just grabbing it from a bag um, because it feels more exciting. And, and this game should be, feel really exciting and not just dire. So that I thought was so, so satisfying. The other thing that I really enjoyed about this game, which, um, I uh, we did a few times, but I would probably in future plays you could take more advantage of is you can exchange things with other players. A lot of times you'll need certain things to complete certain tasks, and uh, in and it's annoying to have to um, find them out yourself or impossible, or just to like I got to go all the way over here to get this from you, and then I go over here from this from you. I believe we can just straight up exchange them. I might be wrong about that. We don't have to be in the same. I think we have to be in the same, same area. Okay. Area, yeah. That would make sense. Um, but there's only like five areas. Exactly, so. and so it's easy to get to each other and and do that. And, and a you lot... can spend you can spend stuff to uh, to go farther. Yes. Uh, yeah. To go faster. So yeah. it's you're rarely out of range of anybody. Yeah. So it just I really felt that helped so much to um, the team effects of. Uh, of being able to pool items and resources in that way. So I, 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 I just enjoyed that part of it. And that was kind of a surprise because L- the LCG, 
those two things are a little different than the LCG, and I found this way more satisfying in Arkham Horror 3rd Edition to do those. Yeah, I, I found this was easier to overall to get uh, immersed in than yeah. the card game. Uh, I really enjoy the card game a lot. Uh, this just had so many other visual elements and still kept the same flavor text and things like that. So it kind of drew me in even more. So, so let's just kind of summation though. I think we both can say like, if you're looking for, this is a theme that interests you and you're looking for an amazingly immersive, really exciting experience. This is definitely a game worth checking out for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, Absolutely. It is absolutely good at what it does in making you feel like you have been dropped into the situation and you have a lot of agency and a lot of options to resolve it in a way that you and your team feels is appropriate. So that, I think, amazingly And it's cheaper to get into than the LCG. (laughs) Well, that is true, yes. Especially with multiple players. If you want to play up to five players, then you need, what, like three base sets? Five players? Yeah. uh, Yeah, because it's two players for each, right? Yeah, yeah. And even then, they suggest... Yeah. At the bare minimum, yes. Yeah, Yeah. so the board game's going to be cheaper to get into than the card game. Yes. All right. Anything? Uh, let's see. Um, that was that was my whole list. If we wanted to get into, you know, the only thing I would games to the table. add real quick is um, uh, games like this as well are not games that are this hard and this long are not necessarily about winning. That obviously you want to win, but you really want to make sure or uh, my playing through this game is I, we were having a lot of fun. We ended up winning, but we were having a lot of fun just solving the things, the events that came out in yeah. the best way. And that is really this, the way to approach these games is it's an experience. Game. Yeah. You're a co-op game. A lot of things are going to go bad and it's really hard. And so get as do as well as you can, but you know, it's not about, Oh, we died. Well, most likely your odds are you're going to die <laughs> at a, a percentage of these playthroughs. But what did you do in the game? What did how well did you immerse yourself into the world? And did you play to your character? And if you did, then you're gonna have fun. And don't hang it all on did we did we beat the old one or not? Right, and that that just is the kind is the category of the game that it it is. Like to me, like a Twilight Imperium Four, which is a six to eight hour game. Yeah, um, that is not. There's no mechanisms in there that are that overwhelm you. There's nothing in the actual gameplay itself that's like this is a great game. Yeah. Um it's the experience that surrounds the whole you're playing and everyone's making these political moves and they're they're making these maneuvers and they're growing their empire and they're establishing trades and it's it's the interaction and the experience when you walk away from it you don't remember if you won or lost. Right. You remember what a great time you had. And yeah. you remember how fun that whole experience was. And that sets it aside from just a pure win-loss game. Yeah. You know, you play Space Base, and you either win or you lose. Right. But it's I not got an this e- upgrade. Yeah, I don't remember exper- what upgrades I got at all. Yeah. <laughs> Two days later, you're not going to remember. You might remember if you won or lost, but you're certainly not going to remember anything that happened in the game. No, not at all. Um, but it... This kind, this Arkham Horror game, it's. I mean, I, we've sat and talked about, and we'll mm-hmm. probably still talk about the cool stuff that happened and mm-hmm. the storyline and how immersive it was, and it's the experience. And we did win, but even if we'd have lost, I think I'd still be giving it as glowing review. Yeah, because it is. I've certainly lost the card game plenty of times. Oh, yeah, and it's still that same immersive experience. It's an experience game rather than. Uh, 
just a hey let's see if i win or lose at this yeah so the story yeah exactly yeah, yeah. The, you'll, you'll be thinking of the stories of the events that happened to you much longer than you will whether or not you succeeded in <laughs> in beating the game it's more it's a camaraderie builder in an amazing way yep um yeah let's let's talk uh about um how to get ta- like approaches to getting games like this to the table in general arkham horror specifically but also large games big play games games that are uh com- experience games versus win or lose uh satisfaction games my number one recommendation uh for getting an experience game like this a longer game i say experience game uh, i usually mean something more than probably two hours uh something that has um maybe a lot of interaction um a lot of story to it uh maybe a lot of theme um potentially heavy gameplay um an experience game to me first and foremost has to be in uh, a setting um, a a cozy setting um, that's not the kind of thing you want to take to the bar or a restaurant yeah. or something like that it's something that you want to have at somebody's house with plenty of space where you can be comfortable where you can uh, you know be loud if you want to because and and especially so you can get into the vibe of it because we we got into this because we're all big Cthulhu fans um, but truth be told we played this in kind of a noisy pub mm-hmm. and uh, to be honest there were times when I didn't read any of the flavor text I just got to a card and I read what the game thing was because yeah. it's loud and there comes a point in time where it kind of the environment you're in sort of might pull you out of the story a little bit we we're able to get back into it because we were really into it to begin with but i think it would have been twice the experience had we been in somebody's house with the lights kind of dimmed and no background noise and you know we could sit there and talk in regular voices and go through all of the flavor text and and all the fun storyline stuff. Uh, I think that's a big key with experience games in general. Is it has to be, uh, it has to be an intimate setting. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd second that for sure. Um, it just uh, there's so much information in this game, and all of it is very well thought out and deep and rich you really want to try to uh play to it i mean if you're running the game then you know when an event comes out you know read the flavor text why is this event coming out it leads itself so much more to make the game so much more meaningful if you know why all this doom is popping up or what um you stumbled over you were sitting on that park bench and something weird happened and time started rapidly progressing in front of your eyes why is that happening um right but yeah it can so much can get lost in the hubbub of a loud place so i would also second that and let's add to that um kind of along with that is this is definitely a set a date in the future game and schedule it with everybody yes. type of game because these are th- like we we're saying three to five hour at least play game playthrough games so it's a chunk of time and you really want everyone to feel like they're not rushing off to do something else afterwards you're going to set the expectation of how long this game will pl- play and make sure everyone is aware of that and uh you know add a little bit of time for whoever's scheduled on the end of it too just uh just in case yeah, I, I agree 100%. It should be something where where everybody knows what they're getting into. 
they have the date on their calendar, everyone's anticipating it, looking forward to it, and that sort of brings me right into my next recommendation, which is um, I think that everybody should, uh, the expectation should be that everybody should have watched a video playthrough, mm-hmm. like a rules video, or uh, skim the rules online, or watched a how to play. Um, Come into the game, if you've never played it before, come into the game familiar with the core mechanisms and familiar with what is going on rather than trying to have it go from the beginning. Because a lot of times it can take two, three, five turns more. Uh, It can be a couple hours into a five-hour game before you really start to be able to tone down the part in your brain that's trying to figure out the mechanisms and open up to the storyline and accepting the the interactions and things like that because you're a little more free because they're a little more second nature if you show up understanding the core basis of the game it's not to say that you need to show up everyone needs to show up and know how to play right out of the box but the person explaining the game should have the expectation that okay i'm going to explain the the rough view of it here and everyone's going to already have heard of some of the topics that i'm talking about they'll they'll know the verbiage they'll know you know what what the core mechanisms are so when i say you you know draft from the mythos deck you know what the mythos deck is and you know what drafting is mm-hmm. um so i think i think that helps get everybody into that same sort of uh vibe i think it helps the gameplay, uh, I think all that. So I, I that that's a big key for me is to kind of have a grasp on on what's going on before you get there. Yeah, I would I'd agree with that. I um uh, as advice for someone who is running this game, that part of that can fall on you to help get your crew excited for the gameplay, especially new players who aren't sure at all what to expect. You know, really get people excited for the play. And day of one other thing that's sort of tied to that is if you are explaining a big game. I would set aside some time to think about how you're going to explain it, especially for people who've never played it before, because these there's a lot that goes on to this game, and you know a lot of times when you're playing smaller games, you're just like, here are the mechanisms, here's how this is played. That's not how you want to introduce these games. You want to be like, sit the scene. What are we? Who are we? Why are we here? And most games of this size that is a great entry point to why you're doing the actions you're doing or the mechanisms of the game. You are investigators. You are in Arkham City. There is something horrible happening. This is what you know. And then you can read that flavor text card. Um, And then they have, okay, so at least that's informing me for what I want to do. Because otherwise it's like, you're in a city. You now go do stuff. Well, what's the priority here? or Why are we doing these things? Really set the scene and and. Think for a minute how you're going to guide players to approaching this game for the first time. Uh, I find that's very, very important with with these large games. It just helps to add the flavor text in a large way when you're explaining the rules and tie those two things together so they make they make sense. Um, second of that is uh, also we mentioned this before, but really get yourself in the mindset of teaching the game or guiding the game and not quarterbacking the game this game is going to want you to quarterback. If you've played this, if this is your game, you're going to know the best way to do things, but remind yourself that this is an experience game, not a win or lose it game. Everyone wants to have a feel that they are 
living through their character and doing the things that their character would do or at least they think their character would do and have some agency to go off and do their own thing while still helping everybody. You can do both, but there's nothing wrong with giving people a nudge when they're in the middle of an analysis paralysis moment on their turn. But try not to my my tip is try not to preemptively give advice. Right. If you see someone struggling, then you can say, you know, you can give them a little nudge or, or direct in some way, but even then I would still couple it with here's a few things you can do. Just right. just to try to narrow them down, but not here's what you should do. You know, never do the here's what you should do. Here's what you could do. <laughs> right. Hey, there's uh you're really good at Doom. There's a lot of Doom over here. There's a lot of Doom over here. Um, you're also really good at this other thing, the clue gathering or what have you that we need. Uh, all we'll of those, need those. All yeah. of those would be good options. Uh, and and that's only if they ask. If somebody's like, all right, I'm going to do this. No, 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 yeah. no. Don't do that. I mean, unless you're obviously it's going to lose yeah. you guys the game. If it's yeah. like, hey, the the card is, you know, don't go on to space one or you lose the game. Right. Like, I'm going to go over to space, <laughs> we'll space one. one. No, stop. Stop, stop, stop. Yeah, yeah. Stop. Don't do that. But, I mean, otherwise, yeah, let, let people live it out. Let people go and do what they want and, you know, and have fun. And if it is your game and you have played it before and you're playing with people who haven't, then, yes, your, your first impulse is to lead the expedition. Yeah. And it should not be to lead the expedition. It should be to make sure that the expedition doesn't go off the rails. Right. Um, but at the same time, yeah, it's people people like being able to explore their own stuff. Um, for yeah. sure. And as long as they're moving forward in the early stages of, of Arkham specifically, but larger games, anything you do, especially if it's co-op, anything anyone does, as long as like they're upgrading themselves, it might not be the best thing for the team at the moment, but if they're improving their character, that's good for the team probably later on. So, you know, uh, just keep that in mind. Uh, make sure that they're they're enjoying the experience versus feeling like they're a perfect weak cog in the wheel. So, I have one last bit of okay. extremely practical advice. Sure. Uh, this is just from playing a lot of games with a lot of people who are not obviously the uh, you can't set your set your clock by people. <laughs> um, two things. One, I would probably have everyone come over and tell them you're starting the game a half an hour earlier than you are mm. uh, because somebody's going to be late. Um, somebody's going to not have watched the video. Somebody's <laughs> going to... This, are, this is all me. Right. These are all the things that um, I do. But uh, <laughs> additionally, you should always, always, and this is, this is my personal philosophy, you should always uh, invite max player count mm. because I would be willing to wager... You will almost always lose one. Sure. Yeah. Somebody will cancel at the last minute because of something. So if you have a five player game and you invite four other people, yeah. then you know that you're probably gonna play a four player game. And that's fine. Right. That's fine. What you don't want to do is have your mind set on a four player game and end up with a two player game. Right, right. Yes. You know? <laughs> because Arkham Horror two player. Probably still yeah, fun. I, but I, everything I've Battle heard Galactica, says it not is. as fun. No, Battlestar Galactica, <laughs> not not fun. Uh, are you a Cylon? Yes. Are you? I am uh, as well. well oh. <laughs> we so have one. did we just win or <laughs> Yes <what>? we did. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right. That's our five minute Battlestar Galactica two player game. Uh, yeah. So uh, always invite more than uh, in max player count. That's my, yeah. my philosophy. Always invite max player count. Yeah. 
I think that's a good that's good advice as well. Um, yeah, so I, I think these are all in, in summation. Just these are these games are designed to be an experience and to really have. You're gonna have a lot of stories that come out of these. You're gonna have these betrayals that someone is mad at you for, or you're mad at them for, or reasons why you didn't win and you can trace the story back here's why i didn't win blah blah, blah. it's blah, blah, blah. but it's so because of cast because cast. you took the resource i needed and i and you did nothing with it <laughs> um so you'll have these fun amazing stories of the game itself and that is what is most important so if you're running the game try to make sure everyone is feeling that um and make sure you've explained and thought about your explanation before but also keep in mind um, that you just need the time to enjoy it. It's a it's a journey. It's not it's not the the end that you're uh, that is the most exciting. So yeah, I had uh, my Jenny had this gigantic gun that had seven dice. I had to roll <laughs> one success, and they all was like were ones or twos. It was amazing. And so I'm I'm still thinking about this. And then I played this two weeks ago, uh, or more, maybe three weeks ago. Uh, and so, and I'm still thinking about that scenario. What happened? That one piece. That's an, that was an experience for me, and that's the kind of stuff that you want people to be talking about. Yeah. One last thing, as I will say, if you are on the fence about purchasing games like this, be cognizant that um, these are games. Unless you have an amazing play group, or this is the only game that your player group wants to play, these games are probably you'll probably get maybe four to six plays in if you're lucky in a year. Um, if you're lucky, if you're really lucky. So these, a lot of these games are, I've played that once or a year, or I played that once every three years yeah. or I played that once or I played that once. Yeah. We have a lot of those. Period. So, so just keep that in mind. They are definitely worth owning, but I personally don't own a lot of these games for that very reason. The ones I do own are ones I want to play. And, uh, there are a lot out there I would love to own and play. I just know I will never get into the table consistently enough to warrant the purchase. So I own a lot of those. Yes. Sadly. Uh-huh. That will <laughs> that's never why get I know Bill. Yeah. So he's got them. Right. But, uh, that's another tip. <laughs> Pool your collections so you can fill in each other's gaps. Um, especially for games like these, which are definitely worth doing, but so hard to get scheduled. All right. All right, guys. Well, uh, that was our, our, our broad overview, our rambling overview of that. Now, I think, I think we said pretty much on point. Yeah, but, I think um, so. I think so. But I, uh, we really appreciate the, the comments and writing in. Dylan, thank you for your question, and we would love to answer anyone else or uh, talk over any discussion points anyone else has. Um, and it's fun for us, too, because uh, it spurned us to uh, try this game out that was probably much lower on the play to-do list than it was. I would and not it have played it. Right to the top. Yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, thank you guys again. If you want to reach out to us, please reach out to us. Oh, do you have something else? No. no I was oh. say Roasted Games 1 on yeah. Twitter and Instagram. And... Uh, you can find us on Facebook, and you can you can even email us if you want to at uh, roastedgamesco at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. You can also find us on our podcast hosting page, eavesdrop.com. That's E-A-S-E-D-R-O-P.com. Uh, we have a comment form there on the Roasted Games page, and we would love to hear from, from more of you guys. So let us know what you think, and we will talk to you guys next time. See you.